welcome to Disruptive Intent. I'm your host, Kevin Sanders. And on this episode of Disruptive Intent, I spoke to a guy called Brett Fields. He is the Chief Innovation Officer of Fed Group and a creative outlier. Uh, we had a long discussion about marketing, about innovation in South Africa, IoT, the early adoption of technology. So without further ado, here's my interview with Brett Fields. Perfect. Hey, cool. So, um, Brett, welcome to episode number 26 of Disruptive Intent. Um, yeah, I thought like, hey, cool, yeah, you guys reaching out and having to be on the podcast. And I looked at your social media, I said, okay, I have to interview this guy on the podcast. <laughs> cool, man. This sounds, sounds cool. I, I think what, you, what you've started here is, is really cool. So, yeah, that's why we reached out, um, just to get involved and uh, help progress this in, in South Africa. Exactly. Yeah, man. As um, like I said, before we get like everyone wants to know who you are and that on um, uh, listening to the podcast, like elevator pitch. Who is who is Bradfield? Uh, I like to think of myself as a creative outlier. Um, from a business point of view, uh, I'm a serial entrepreneur. Uh, my day job, I'm the chief innovation officer of Fed Group, which is South Africa's largest independent financial services group. And I'm an investor. I'm invested in a bunch of uh, companies, everything from uh, IoT, machine learning, to uh, food media production, uh, nutrition, and, and commercial properties. So, oh, Okay, cool. So basically, the, the South African Gary Vee. <laughs> 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 well, uh, I, I should be so lucky. No, definitely. Well, like I said, that's that's the first thing that came to mind when I saw your 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 social media and your like I said, what are you involved with? I said, like this guy is like he's doing it right. He's exactly like I said, that's living living the dream. Now, um, like I said, from from a, from a business side, into you said you're a creative outlier. In what in what sense are you like I said uh, your creative output before you get to the business side? Well. I, I take creativity uh, into everything that I do, mm-hmm. even even in uh, corporate boardroom all the way down to um, if I'm shooting photography or if I'm messing around on TikTok or if I'm cooking at home. There's nothing that I do that doesn't have creativity at its core, um, but most specifically with it as a um, the underlying way that I try and approach everything is from a creative intent and I try and leverage creativity in multifaceted way so that it will uh, influence my thinking so that I approach everything that I think of differently. I see. Yeah. Cause I said, uh, you get it. Well, so every, uh, I think everything in, in, in modern days is everyone is so used to everyone doing it by the book and doing it. Like I said, uh, there's nothing more than it. Like I said, I had a, had a meeting today again with someone and they said, but that's how we've always done it. And like I said, that makes me like I said, that immediately. I was like, this is kind of not the type of person that I want to deal with on a daily basis. Cause how can you just say that's how we've always done it. And then like, I think that's the, that's the inspiring part about your work. When I saw, like I said, the stuff that you're involved with and um, 90% of the time, I, I've always had this thing about anyone that drives motocross and is interested in surfing and has that kind of, and they get into the business world, they're kind of good people. <laughs> well, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty good uh, asset test, isn't it? 
<laughs> definitely, definitely. Well, like I said, where did where did all this the, the creativity creativity and it come from? Like I said, not everyone is born. Like I said, in school we all taught to follow the book and you follow this and you follow these rules, and then all of a sudden, like I said, you get a person like yourself that's that's approaching it completely different. Well, I think I uh, I was born with uh, a creative curiosity mm-hmm. and um, a level of creative ability. Um, mm-hmm. Creativity never uh, was difficult for me. When I was very young, I was always uh, one of the better in a class if, we, if it was finger painting or drawing. So yeah. quite, you know, <laughs> I, I came to realize at a very young age that I had to create my talents set with creativity. And at that time, it was less about thinking more about um, the actual practical uh, creative outlet, if it's painting, drawing, uh, whatever. Yeah. Um, and then at, also at a, at a young age, I'm talking early primary school, uh, without knowing it, I was being entrepreneurial. Um, so that, that's when creativity and business started to come together. Uh, my first little venture of sorts was at, uh, I must have been about standard one. I don't know how what how old that is now. But, yeah. <laughs> um, Eleven or twelve or ten or somewhere around there. Yeah. And I realised that uh, all the guys uh, had cricket bats, and if it had signatures on it, mm-hmm. people were people were showing each other the signatures on their bats. So yeah. I, I said, "Well, you know, give me a couple of rand, and I will. I'll." do signatures on your bat. Okay. <laughs> so I, I was literally selling uh, squiggles. And soon after that, I realized that, well, it can't just be a squiggle. It, had, it actually meant something. Exactly. And um, so at the time, John T. Rhodes was all the rage. And out of everybody that I'd gone and looked up, his was the signature that was easiest to uh, uh, copy. Okay. And then I would sign John T. Rhodes's uh, signature <laughs> as, a, yeah. as a ten-year-old onto everybody's bat. So that yeah. that was that was where it, uh, my first sort of not even knowing at the time that mm. I had an entrepreneurial sort of yeah um, finding a way to, to to sell to move product. <laughs> it just came naturally, yeah. Oh, well, like I said, that's uh, that's actually a well, very interesting way to to start off. The well, like I said, we're having having someone like with at, at that young age think, okay, cool. You know what? I need to I need to like I said, this is a popular thing, and how can I replicate this to 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 sell that aspect? And then yeah, so it was it was identifying, I guess, a trend, mm-hmm. uh, and then and then working out uh, how to take that to market yes. and then refined my product. Yeah. And I was a 10 year old. Um, exactly. <laughs> and then, yeah, these stories sort of unfolded until uh, later on when I actually realized and I was being deliberate with my entrepreneurial and creative thinking. Yeah. Well, except you're saying, okay, you went on to a bit more uh, entrepreneurial thinking or what did, what did like said, the business size go to from there on? Like I said, what, what after school or did you go and study university or college or what was the process after that? So the first, um, I, I got a job the day after my, my 16th birthday. Mm-hmm. I was working in a pet shop in Santon City. Um, I was in Joburg at the time and, um, I, I worked as a as a casual casual salesman, and then um, 
I, I worked out a few things in there. I worked out that if we, we could sell more fish bowls, if we grouped all the individual items that needed to go into it, the sand and the, the little ornament and the whatever. Mm. Um, and, and all I was doing was bundling, right? And we used yeah. to bundle these up and, and put an extra markup. Uh, if somebody walked around the shop and just put the same items in, they could have yeah. got it cheaper than the one that was just sitting there that had pre-bundled. Yes. Um, so then because of these sorts of things that I brought to, to my casual job, I got along uh, really well with uh, the boss there. Mm. And then it got to a point where I said to him, you know, everybody buys these two-foot fish tanks, um, but everybody comes in wanting a three-foot tank, but then it's not going to fit in their car, and then they think it's a bit of a mission or whatever. Mm. And um, uh, I said, well, I'll handle – the delivery at that time, I just turned 18. I had uh, access to a car I said, I'll do the delivery, but I, I'm going to, I'm going to charge them for that. Mm. So he said, no, that's cool. No problem. I can do the delivery. Yes. And on top of that, then I, I used to upsell them into, I'll do the setup and the maintenance. Oh, okay. And, um, so, so I used to, I used to run this, this little fish tank business and, um, when I started my first job, I actually, so I gave that up for, you know, I'm a real job and, and I actually took, I was earning half what I was before when sure. I, when I actually yes. entered the, the job market. Yes. Um, I, I did go to uh, university. I did a couple of degrees. I did a degree in uh, business administration and another one in, um, the IMM marketing. Uh, and I did those all correspondence. Um, I, I absolutely hated school. Mm. I hated every single day of it other than that. It gave me an environment in which to observe human behavior and to, to play pranks and, and mess around like, like yeah. that, you know, I was, I was a, I was a mischievous student. It's probably the easiest, um, so I didn't want to go into full-time university. The idea of sitting and waiting and, and listening to lectures and things like that just seemed like such a waste of time, not, not in gaining the knowledge. It just seemed like not a waste of time, an inefficient way to learn mm. what was being taught. Exactly. Um, so I started my first degree. By the time I got to the beginning of third year of the first degree, I started my second degree. So I was working full time, studying two degrees at the same time, um, just to fast track all of that. Um, yeah, so that, that's, that's sort of, and then, then I've done a lot of creative courses after that. You know, I've done, uh, even though I, at the time I was working um, and still am actually, uh, I'm, I'm one of the shareholders of, of their group, so I'm still involved there. And I was uh, um, working there and I was doing courses by Werner Herzog on film direction mm. and Aaron uh, Sorkins on script uh, screenwriting mm. um, because I wanted to understand content from from the, the greats of the, the likes of a, a Werner Herzog yes. rather than just somebody who's trending on, on social media. So I really wanted to dive into, um, I, I realized that content was going to become a thing mm. and I started to, to learn from 
that level of production because we can always bring it down, but understanding um, a story arc and those sorts of things is is a lot more uh, scientific than people sometimes uh, realize. So I did a lot of courses like that. I did courses in uh, human behavior. I've done courses in um, negotiation, all sorts. You know, we've we've got the digital age. We, we've opened up. I'm glad I, I landed up being in sort of tertiary plus education and in a time where digital was as strong as it was, that I could actually study correspondence. Exactly. Well, like I said, you, you're nailing it on the head. Like I said, going back to your point of university being an environment to, to, to observe human behavior, um, me and my um, housemate had a discussion the other day because I'm reading this book, um, How to Build a Billion Dollar App. And um, it's from the guy that started Snapchat. And uh, not Snapchat, um, uh, what's it called? Uh, but anyway, um, they, they started this app. But like I said, most of the people that they, uh, you said he went about um, surrounding, uh, choosing your, your co-founder or choosing people that you're going to work with. And most of the people they work with were the people they study with at Stanford, at MIT. And it's not like they wanted a person with a degree in engineering. They wanted the person that came out of that same innovation hub, basically, and then and, and push forward. And then I think basically that also helped you then lead to seeing the trend of, okay, people are more on their phones. People are looking for content. People are looking for something to watch. And, um, that's, like I said, I think that's, and you also continue in studying. I think that's the thing that most successful entrepreneurs do, do is they, they never stop being a student. They, that doesn't mean they stop going to, or they start, you know, never stop going to school, but they never stop reading. They never stop looking at anywhere else that they can listen from. Like I said, even from this podcast, I can learn a hell of a lot from you just by spending an hour with you over, like I said, on a podcast, which is, I think that's the key element to this all. Yeah, on, uh, ongoing learning uh, is is key. Um, I think just a um, a nonstop curiosity also. And I think what's what's very exciting in uh, the education space at the moment is this shift away from uh, that old construct of you know time-based as opposed to output-based. And I think business will start to shift. And it's already, you know, the likes of the the COVID-19 crisis has sort of uh, accelerated the shift, but people will shift more and more to uh, production and output-based returns. And that's certainly going to come out in education as well. So if I want to fast track uh, to learn something, that's up to me. But if I want to take a year to do a course that somebody else does in three or, or in three weeks, that's also okay. So mm. it doesn't necessarily mean that you have to learn faster. It means that you can learn at whatever pace suits you for that particular model exactly. uh, or, or module. So um, if I'm learning something, uh, let's say the when, when I was doing the, the film directing and and that there I was taking it a lot slower because there I really wanted to dive into how this works, mm. go and experiment, come back, rewatch uh, lectures and modules. And, and I, it took me ages to, to finish it as opposed to uh, when I was at varsity. And if it was something like business management or uh, accountancy, I was like, I just need to get these things ticked off. And I just want to do the bare minimum, get it out of my life. 
So, um, and, and I could do that. I didn't have to go and sit into every single lecture. But yeah. if I didn't put in enough time to know enough, I fail. Exactly. So it's very yeah. much lands up in your hands. So that for me is what's so exciting. And it's certainly coming to the business world now as well. Exactly. Well, like I said, you're already seeing this now because um, I saw yesterday, I saw an article um, on Twitter about VITS uh, moving to VITS E, where they're moving all their, co- like I said, all their courses to e-learning. Um, like I said, South, South Africa has been dragging along about this thing about, because like I, I work for, for a company called Vox Telecom and I do business process development and, and, and that for them. And I've, I look, every time I said, well, I can do this job from home. I can sit in my uh, shorts and I can sit with, at home and not worry about about a thing and I'll be so much more productive. And yesterday I had a meeting with our ops manager and he said, you were actually right. He came to me and he said to her, he's not going to apologize in a sense, but he said to me, well, it looks like it made sense because you spend the same amount of time you did the office now here in front of your laptop and you're so much more productive. I said to him, well, that's, that's what I told you guys. I said, it doesn't have to be give my desk and my office to someone that's going to use it and, and be productive in that environment. But, and, and, and same with schooling. We don't, I uh, always use this example because I used to work in, uh, with, with deploying office 365 solutions for some of our customers at, at Vox. And there was a, there's a school that, that you can base this whole school system on office 365, where we can sit in a, in a, in a meeting like we have now and someone can give a lecture. I can sit here. And I can do my class and follow along and ask questions because it's a live interaction. And I can, at the end of the year, I can complete my assignment, submit it to OneDrive, and boom, there we go. I've, I don't have to be even in the same country as that person. And um, look, even a, even a better example now, uh, my housemate's mom, uh, she t- gives uh, music classes. And um, he gave her an iPad, and now she's doing everything online. She's WhatsApp calling her students on the one thing and, and using the iPad through Skype. And there she goes. Now she can sit in the comfort of her own home because she's got a piano there, she's got a guitar there, and whatever. So she can sit there and give her music lessons. And that's all. Like I said, she doesn't even have to drive anyway, which is that's kind of the future. And and it opens up her audience to to being global. Um, A a very exciting player in this this space for me is uh, Valencia Institute. Mm-hmm. Um, started by the same guys that did um, Get Smarter. Uh, it's their new venture. And it's a 100% digital high school. Um, comes out of, uh, I think their the head office is in Cape Town. Mm-hmm. Uh, the chancellor is from uh, Harvard or Harvard X. And their teachers are remote. So their teachers are, yeah. are set up with uh all the, the live streaming equipment and that from their homes. And I, I just think that they're the ones that are really pioneering the space for, you know, now mm. your kid can go to school. If you move countries, they carry on. They've got the same people in their class while, mm. you know, they, they do merge the, uh, the, the interaction of, of physical interaction with the likes of uh, sports clubs and things like that. And that would obviously change if a kid moved, but yes. they still have contact with their existing uh, classmates. And, mm. and uh, I just think that that idea that there's going to be these huge buildings with tons of kids in them uh, from this time to that time, 
with a bell that goes off every now and again. <laughs> I mean, it's just, it's just yeah. cannot be sustainable. Mm. And um, I think the likes of Valencia Institute and what they're doing is very, very exciting. Uh, and I'm glad that they've started at the high school stage uh, rather than everybody seems to approach this at tertiary rather than anybody actually tackling the existing schooling system. Exactly. Um, and, and, you know, you, you leave school in Cape Town and you can, you can go and try and get into Harvard. It's got uh, accreditation with like Ivy league schools. And mm. so, yeah, I think that space is moving and it's quite cool that it's moving uh, and, and it's starting here in South, in South Africa. Yeah, because actually now you you open up your your like your even for the from a teacher side. Let's say you've got the best um, algebra teacher that lives in Gauteng, but your students are all in. Like I said, you can have a class of a hundred students. There's no more limit about. I remember being in class and having forty kids in our, our primary school. We had forty kids, and like I think fifteen were English students, and then the rest of us were all Afrikaans. And then the the the, the teacher had to teach Afrikaans and English and jump between, and then she doesn't know what's going on or he doesn't know what's going on and then everyone is in the class is disrupted and then the bell goes off and then you've learned yeah. nothing in that class and then you wonder why kids are failing and why our pass grade is 30% at the moment. So um, when you get an environment where you can have a one-on-one interaction and there's no time schedule, um, if your class is at, um, you, let's say you're busy with grade, um, grade 10 or whatever, and you have these classes, you can attend whatever uh, schedule that, that suits your environment. Because I see it a lot with um, in the action sports world where you get these kids that are, um, like I said, 15, 16, 13 years old. They're pro skateboarders, pro FMX riders and whatever. And then they can't, they, they end up like becoming these pros, but with no, like I said, schooling behind behind them and with this type of thing all of them are enrolling in classes and this and this and this and still be clear um, like getting business knowledge getting this knowledge getting all those things by having a flexible schooling day and not being having to attend a class every day and in, in, in a building that's with 50 other people yeah and it also means that that guy who's semi-pro skateboarder who's coming mm. out of um uh, not out of an affluent family or something like that where resources are low, he can mm. still go and get a good education yeah. for a low price that's flexible. He might have to wake up at 4 a.m. so that he can get schooling out of the, out of the way so that he can start uh, skateboarding for eight hours during the day. Exactly. But he can. Yeah, definitely. That's what, that's what changes, yeah. Well, except from okay, now moving back to the the business side and, and your side and Fed Group and stuff like that. Like I said, what is the what is the the goal on on, on in that company in that sense? Well, um, from from Fed Group's perspective, we've always been a company about people, um, and as cliched as that is, I I stand very firm on that because it's something we we have the luxury of being independent. And when I say the luxury, it's, it's very deliberate. We've stayed independent on purpose. We don't have external shareholders that we have to satisfy. We don't have uh, the pressure from guys looking for dividends. So uh, we can run the business for people. Um, and that's, that's coming to show now, uh, especially in times of, of hardship. Mm. Um, you sit in, in meetings and it's all about how do we look after our people and our people are uh, 
first and foremost, the people that uh, are, are part of our, our family, our business that uh, work there. And, and then it extends to clients and, and the, the other stakeholders. But um, even if you look at the products that we've built and the, uh, the way that we quote, so when, when insurance it can be complicated at times, we've always looked to how we can simplify it so that whether it's a trustee, a judge, or a principal officer that's trying to look at it uh, and, and trying to determine what is the best uh, option that he's got, mm-hmm. we've tried to make it as simple as possible so that they can see there's no hidden fees, there's no layered fees. We, we just, we've steered away from all of that. Mm. Um, to really try and be a challenger brand that that just rather than we we, we don't um, we don't want to get caught up in all the dynamics of the industry and rather just forge our own path and products that's based around people because um, not only do we at an ethics level believe so strongly in it we also just believe that it's the future. Yeah. If you look at how technology is is starting to unbundle so many of these uh, companies here and abroad and all over that that have tried to hide fees and you know the banking sector gets under increasing pressure to remove fees and around the world there's there's now becoming this default that uh, you know uh, savings accounts will be zero fees and that pressure continues and so. Mm-hmm. We've always been going in that direction, so uh, that's working out quite nicely for us. Um, and then we, we're looking at exciting products like impact farming where people buy an asset and for 300 rand you can be in a commercial blueberry uh, farm operation. Right. So for 300 bucks, you've got a blueberry bush that gets farmed in a smart farm, and I'm talking smart farm with like IoT in it, um, each bush has its water brought to to the base with three mm. different uh, little pipes, and it's drip fed just for that plant. Yeah. Um, and it's export quality, so this you you you're 300 bucks in, and that's going to be looked after for the full uh, term of that uh, that bush's productive life. And, and that berry is eaten by somebody who bought it in tex- Tesco's in London. Sure. So, you know, it, it might, you, you're spending 300 bucks here in South Africa mm-hmm. and it might be David Beckham who's uh, eating your blueberry at the end of the day. That is, that yeah. is a realistic scenario. That, that's kind mm-hmm. of how cool this, this product is. Okay. Um, and we've, we've used technology um, and a, and a, built this platform in order to, to allow us to do that. So we very, very strong on tech and we very, uh, uh, we, we leverage tech a lot, uh, to be innovative. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's actually good. That's an insane, like I said, I've always been fascinated by IOT as I said, the, that's, that's really the future. Like people are scared of things like Siri, for instance, because I don't even, like I said, I don't even set um, um, reminders anymore on my Siri. I just tell Siri, hey, Siri, uh, what? She's like, there she goes off now. <laughs> um, but then I said, set a reminder or set me, um, I put a timer on for this or set my alarm for when I lay in bed at night, I close my book, I put it down and say, hey, Siri, wait, um, wake me up at um, 
at five o'clock and boom, there's an alarm set and, and, and it'll, I'll be waken up at that time. And it's getting to this point where, where South Africa needs to dive deeper into it. I, I remember talking about uh, to a friend of mine about getting smart, uh, smart um, LED light bulbs in his house when he can change the hue of the lights and, and it from his phone. And okay, it costs a lot of money at the start now because those, those Philips Hue light bulbs are flipping expensive, but that's the way the world's going. You're going you're gonna to get to a point where, like I said, the smart farming, I'll, I'll dive more of my questions on that side, but so that's what, what IoT is. IoT is going to be the future of we, not even, like I said, it knows you get, get you, you, you can like finish your work at four o'clock and then by this time the, um, this must be ready or food must be ready or this or your coffee. You wake up at six o'clock or five o'clock and your coffee is ready by 10 past five. And you just walk in there and you grab a cup. That's the type of thing that IIT goes to. But now focusing more on the farming side, like said, first of all, where like said, are your, are, is this farm located or these farms located that you guys are? Uh, so or so we're, a, we're the platform, right? So, uh, we we vet and do due diligence on partners. Mm-hmm. So these farms are owned by um, uh, existing farmers. Okay. So they they are the best in their field, and we we're the platform that joins them with uh, investors who go and buy the individual assets. I see. Um, and we do it for. Uh, solar panels and we do it for beehives as well and there's a bunch of other products that uh, we're busy uh, doing due diligence it takes a long time because we take Mm. it very seriously uh, and i'd love to be able to tell you what's coming but um, (laughs) two things one is uh, i don't know because i don't know which are going to end up being feasible and whatever and the other ones is i wouldn't be able to tell you anyway yeah (laughs) um, if it was um so the um, the farming is is largely run by these uh, existing farmers. Mm-hmm. Um, we we own a IoT company as well, and uh, we we use the our knowledge in that field to have an extension of the pat- platform to start to link up more and more between the farmer or uh, the venture operator and uh, the investor. So more and more IoT will will uh, start to become a, uh, a feature here. I see. So, so you're tackling it now from basically from both sides, basically helping the farmer fund his, his farming and then introducing him slowly but surely more and more to the IoT side of, of farming. Yeah, so we've we've got um, so that's on, at, at a Fed Group level. Mm-hmm. On the IT level, we've got a full um, uh, IoT established business. Our own uh, we've we've designed and created and manufactured our own IoT devices, mm-hmm. and that's doing everything from uh, automatic reading of water and electricity meters retrofitted onto, so we can turn an existing meter. Yeah. We can retrofit, so no council having to come in and change into a smart meter. We can turn an existing meter into a smart meter. Live analytics, mm. burst detection. You wouldn't believe how like hundreds and hundreds of thousands of rands already saved yeah. just from the bursts, uh, water bursts that we've detected. Exactly. Um, so it starts to optimize buildings, um, and we can we can pretty much measure anything. 
that's that's kind of our IoT play is we we we've we can measure anything, and then we've got uh, really great analytics, and um, then then we've also got a machine learning and IoT yeah. uh, and AI business, and then that then comes in to play there where we're going to or where we start to add in machine learning layers that enhances the IoT plays. Okay. So what are, what are you like now in, in as an actual player in that realm of IoT and, and AI and that way, are you seeing South Africa not like being in the future, but what is, what is our next step in going there? What would you say would be, because 90% of my experience with IoT is people are very defensive about this. They don't want to in, add technology to their houses and that, but what do you think would be the next step of people being comfortable of allowing that amount of IoT or technology or AI into their lives? So I think it's, it's happens in big, big industry first. It's going to happen and continue. It is happening and will continue to happen in commercial uh, property facilities, management, uh, agriculture. Those, those are all industries that we're already playing in. And those people are starting to see and reap the benefits of how IoT starts to enhance their businesses. Um, from a consumer point of view, um, it, it's interesting because some people uh, want to wrap their phones up in tinfoil and leave them outside. Exactly. And people like you, you, you turn everything on and you want Alexa sitting there playing the music or whatever. Mm. And I think what's going to happen is that the trend is a, a shift in human behavior away from uh, that. That's going to change the way we market. So for a very long time, Google's been the, the default. Everybody goes in, they're looking for something, they're going to Google. Mm. And that's why SEO became really important and everybody wanted to rank in the top page. Then it was the first three. Then you've got to, you know, try and uh, land in for ads and things like that. And what starts to disappear is when the person who's looking or uh, doing the search is no longer doing it with their eyes and they do it with their mouth. Yes. So if, if I'm looking for a, um, a painter now I go there and I put their painter Cape town and I'm going to get a list and then I start to look through them. Right. Exactly. But now if I, if I'm not sitting in front of a computer and I'm very used to uh, speaking to an Alexa and in fact, not only that, but um, the, the clothing that I wear is hardwired or integrated with these sorts of devices, um, I'm, I'm going to ask Alexa to arrange for a painter to come on, come around and, and uh, sort out the painting in my house. Uh, knowing that all the reviews will already be sorted out, I don't have to go and do that research. That, that will start to fall away. It will accumulate and know that because these friends of mine have used this person in the past, they were happy, all of these sorts of things, they will start to, and they will have a, not just review-based, but they'll have a, a, an AI-based um, score on how good they are, what their value for money is, which products they use. I won't have to think of any of that, and I won't have to yeah. sift through that data anymore. All I'll do is say, Alexa, get my house painted. Mm. 
Exactly. And if I do that, Alexa is not going to scan through. So, um, I, what, what, from a brand point of view, the brands are going to have to work very hard to try and get to top of mind again, rather than just the front page, because what you really want to get to is where somebody says, please get me a green fern, Alexa, get green fern painters to paint my house. Yeah. So that's when it becomes top of mind again. And you'll see that the marketing, the way we market will shift more and more and more to getting brand uh, to top of top of mind. Exactly. Well, like I said, um, I had my, my first experience with, with that Alexa because on, on the podcast, the, the site that I host the podcast, you can um, link it to as many other like services and that as you want. So one of the things that I, that, that I did that I never thought was going to work or anyone's going to actually use it, but I wanted it there was the command um, disruptive intent podcast on Alexa. So the other day I went through my stats and I looked on what devices was, was downloading the podcast and that I saw. Alexa, Amazon Alexa. And I said, so I was shocked because I know someone asked Alexa to play my podcast. I'm not sure my country because like, uh, my viewership is now from, yeah, this, like I said, the, it's in, in America and in Australia and then in South Africa. And so somewhere in the world, someone said to Alexa, play Disruptive Intent podcast. And, and I said, okay, that's amazing. Like I said, um, my podcast is nowhere near any of the big players or anything international, but there's already someone doing that in that sense. And that's, yeah, and that's somebody- amazing. It's one of those earlier by name. Mm. That, oh, yeah. That's the cool part. And that's, that's where, um, as opposed to, uh, they didn't say, Alexa, play me a podcast on disruption. Yeah. They requested it by name. It had to be top of mind yeah. or for whatever reason, it was top of mind. And then they requested it. And that more and more, I think, is where people are going to, on the marketing front, are going yeah. to be... Um, battling to yeah. uh, to get to the top of mind. Yeah, exactly. Because now, now you don't have any input, not any input, but the visual sense of that is not, is, doesn't have any, any, any effect on it. You're going to have the best marketing or sex sales or Nando ad or whatever you want to promote your brand. And if it's not on, on, on the top of that list, sorry, you're not going to get picked in that area. And I think that's when, um, but uh, that's the thing I see in South Africa now. It's the it's the early adopters, the the basically almost the, the outliers that are willing to take that risk and pay X amount for an Alexa, whatever. That that's starting to get into it. It's not becoming a second nature. Um, I said even one of my mates, he's got one of the the small Alexas. What is it called? Um, the the like the flat, the smaller, or not the hub, the whole speaker. But he used yeah. it for a while, and he used it. Um, through his, uh, to, to play music. So whenever we have a Brian, whatever at his house, he would say, Alexa, play this. Or, but it was more of a jokey thing. Was, he would say, Alexa, tell us a joke. And then Alexa would tell a joke or Alexa, let's do this. And all these little fun Mickey features and Onishi features in the thing, but nothing, not Alexa, um, I need milk. And then like five minutes later, a guy with the take a lot scooter shows up and gives you a crate of milk. And that, so it hasn't evolved to that point yet, but it's, it's fun to see it starting to happen and people starting to yeah. use these, the software. Yeah. And, and when people get used to being told a joke by a machine that sits in their living room, yeah. the, the, the leap to when it's available for somebody to now go and um, uh, order their milk 
yeah. from that same machine isn't such a such a big leap. You know, exactly. if you think about even the internet, when the internet came in um, and personal computers started coming into the house, the first thing you'd do, as a, especially younger generations, is you, you'd play games on them. Exactly. Yeah. That, that's what it was. It was games and and browsing interesting things. It, you weren't really no. doing a lot of commerce mm. and it's it's those small features that get people excited and it gets uh, people mm. to learn how these things work and start to learn to trust them and then it uh, then it will evolve and it's it's a matter of time before it starts evolving here exactly well the same thing we still we have like take a lot in south africa that's that's massive now in in, in selling and that stuff and only now south africa is kind of like it's it doesn't it doesn't sound good to say like the corona and the convert for 19 is a good thing but in for technology people don't see the opportunity in this people are now there's people like buying milk and because uh, i know the other day i got a, a marketing email from net florist saying buy your essentials from net florist and say to what it's like how are you guys like so finding okay you find this opportunity and you're running with it but now everyone is sort of oh but we can do this online what and they, they, this whole world opens to them so hopefully people yeah, start I- adopting this and like i said you can buy your monthly groceries and just get a little box or crate from from pick and pay or checkers or whoever woolies and that and they stop at your house and say cool here's your monthly groceries or whatever <laughs> yeah if we ju- if we just look at the jump in home delivery of essential services so mm. essential items um largely being groceries and pharmaceuticals yes now that everybody's tried it because they were forced to try it now. Mm. So, so many, so many more people have tried this and it will immediately become more mainstream. Exactly. The other thing it's done is the, if you, if we look at older generations, I'm talking people in their, their seventies and eighties, mm. they might never have done this. Exactly. Right? They, uh, if, if we look at the, the trajectory there, they go, well, they would probably live the rest of their lives out happily mm going to the supermarket, buying their groceries, never having to ever do a, a e-commerce online transaction. But now exactly. what happens mm. is immediately that was stopped. They yeah. were isolated. Mm. So kids, friends, whoever it is that upskilled them yeah. would, would teach them how to do uh, video calls. Mm. They do a video call on how to do their grocery shopping. Yeah. And now you've got... A, a new market that was never ever going to enter that part of the uh, the market in that yeah. distribution channel now all of a sudden arrive there and are probably going to stay. Exactly. Well, I, I think now that's that's one of my uh, key things that I'm uh, think that that like I said, even my company has disruptive intent with with business development and that side is is having these companies provide an educational side to it because 90% of the people I don't like my mom's in her fifties and she, I don't think she's ever bought something from take a lot or like to understand. So she said, yeah, but they're going to take my banking details and why did they need my card info? And then, so I think it's education. I think that's the key thing because 90% of the time people are scared of a, techno- a new technology because they don't know, they don't know what the benefits could be. And I think if I, um, I remember um, Amazon having launching that a pain with um, some washing detergent where they put a little button on your washing machine. So if the, your washing detergent was done, you just press the button and it adds it to your card on Amazon. When you get a midnight 
you or when you when you get in front of your laptop, you open your Amazon cart and it says, "Well, you've got these items in your cart. Do you want to purchase them?" And boom, they deliver it to your house. And like I said, I think to that extent, I think that's the key thing, and and all of this is education. Yeah, and and the adoption curve. You know, that adoption curve has just been boosted. It yeah, was, definitely, and, yeah. and it was boosted by crisis. Whack! All yeah. of a sudden, it's like, yeah. Adopt and because so many people were adopting at such a fast rate, that trust became very quick because mm. people speak to 20 people. Yeah. And instead of one person saying, Yeah, yeah, I've done that a couple of times, or Oh, yeah. my son does that, it's mm. like, Yeah, 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 we do that all the time now. Yeah. And then people go, Well, okay, then, it, then, I, then I trust it because the people that I trust trust yeah. it. Exactly. And, and it comes to a point, even if it's not in the lockdown sense, like I, said, I think it comes to a point where um, it's time efficient. Because if I go and let's say I know I'm the, like I said, I, uh, my diet consists of, the, I need these items to make the meals that I want. I need this and this and this and that. Um, even to, like I said, going even further now, going to an extent where um, you have a nutritionist that comes to you and say, well, you have this, you need this diet, you need to buy this shopping cart. And they automatically go to a place like take lot or woolies or whatever and list your items boom and on the 30th of, of of the end of the month you get a package or box from woolies saying this is all your fresh produce this is all your dairy this is your meat that you need for the month and the, and you pack it in your house and you can sit at home busy working and then you don't even have to spend that hour or two hours or whatever going out shopping buying groceries or whatever it's oh, yeah so, so and i think, I, and I think this that. is where Influencer marketing is is one of the, one of the areas that influencer marketing is going to evolve into, mm-hmm. and that's the um, the commerce side of it, yes. and that's where a nutritionist or a trainer or somebody like that is going to say, right, here's my one click uh, checkout yeah. or cart at this store, that store, or the other store, yes. and one click, whack, you've got everything yeah. with the recipes and and whatever, and uh, the big brands, well, all brands, and the influencers will start to start to close those gaps exactly, where yeah. they they can do the um, attribution of uh, the sale and the ease of the sale, so that you can preload for all your clients. Look, guys, if you want it, hit it, yeah. done. Exactly, and I think it, it's like said, uh, but the the thing is now, I think about influencer marketing because I'm I'm not sure to what extent. Um, South African. Well, I think the, the my my opinion about influencer marketing in South Africa is, um, if you look at influencer marketing in the US, it's more gamers and YouTubers and these social media celebrities where um, I think we've done it the opposite, uh, the, the other way around. We use sports stars and, and those type of people and they, and, and music, music stars, and they become kind of big on social media and then, brands work with them. I don't see in South Africa where someone that's massive on TikTok, for instance, will sell products to, to a certain, to the, the larger demographic and help with, with, with that. Or what's it, what is, what is your opinion on that, on that side? So I, I think it's, it's starting and I think it's, uh, I'm a big advocate of influencer marketing and I still think it's the most undervalued uh, channel at the moment. Okay. And I think it's, it's maturing really nicely mm-hmm. in South Africa. We've got some really great influences coming up and they are professional and they work damn hard. Mm. And, um, they are 
starting to add significant value to big campaigns that are converting, converting on brand, uh, brand building and brand salience mm-hmm. and on actual commercials. This happened, that much got sold. And uh, if, we, if we look at the platforms, as the platforms evolve to, to bridge that gap as well and to uh, make influencer marketing easier uh, to everybody rather than just the few that uh, have started to, to try and work it out themselves, once it gets built into the back end of the platforms, which is yeah. absolutely already on its way, um, it's going to boom. Mm. And um, we, we've we've got some across across the the board from uh, lifestyle, photography, travel, um, food, beverage, uh, business. We've got a very wide range of really great uh, influences. Yeah, so ready. In in what? And if you now say, okay, cool, I, I agree with you hundred percent. Like influencer marketing is. 200%, like I said, that's how I base 90% of my purchasing decisions, be it um, the motocross gear that I wear or the skateboard that I ride or the car that I want to buy is, like I said, I take a person's, like I said, a person's opinion or uh, values that I value and then say, what do they use? Um, for instance, I um, I ride and I'm, I work with uh, the brand called Fast House and this has been, like I said, the, just the attitude of the guys, the, what they do and how they interact from the US side i say i want to associate with those type of people and that's why i wear a fast house jersey and that's why i missioned and i'm working with them and 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 that's in south africa to build that brand in south africa so but i just for for some reason i don't see that um converting to everyone in that sense yes like i said some of my friends they they look at someone interesting but I don't, I don't, well, actually, um, I don't see why they don't see the value in that. So I, I, I don't know how to convey it any, any, any else. So I don't see them so, looking at a Tyler Beerman and saying, yes, I want to wear a fast out jersey because he's wearing that jersey. The interesting thing about influence is a lot of people don't realize that they are influence. If you, if you mm. say to people, why did you buy whatever car they bought? Mm-hmm. Uh, why did you buy a a Toyota or a BM or a whatever, they, they would tell you what they think is the reason that they bought this yeah. car. But it's, it's almost certainly not the reason. They would exactly. have been influenced by, by different things. So I think a lot of it comes from people not realizing that they are influenced. Also true. And they, uh, it, it's a trust game. So mm. what's happened is if we look at the likes of the Edelman Trust Barometer, um, We've seen that uh, big business, governments, things like that, the, the general uh, population is starting to lose trust there and more and more people like me, I trust. And that's what influencers do. Yeah, they create, that makes sense. Uh, they're, they're the head of an audience that is as broad and or niche mm-hmm. as, as that content and as that influencer is able to handle because – it's it's fluid they they will leave the audience will leave if they're no longer happy so um or if the trust is broken they leave you look at the likes of a logan paul he Mm. broke trust whack gone yeah overnight and now he's he's worked very hard and he's and he's starting to gain gain that trust again but um if we look at that those people are trusted and because they trusted uh 
people start to uh, be influenced and, and they, yeah. and, and these guys are, they, they, they working with the brands and the agencies as it evolves. So exactly. it's, it, you know, one day it looks like it's, it's absolutely exploding the next day. Mm. Uh, not, and, and that's just part of, of that um, adoption curve sort of working its way up. Exactly. Well, I agree with you 100%. I don't think 90% of the people that make business or, or purchase decisions think um, they, 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 they don't know that they've been influenced by, let's say, for instance, uh, a thing like people wearing uh, Beats headphones. They don't know that they wear, they want to wear a pair of Beats headphones because it's so, like it's associated with a certain type of person, um, and unknowingly, I think I think that's that's the that's the key to it. Unknowingly, a brand like um, Apple has gone and and associated with Beats and have that like a brand associated with like leaders in certain industries to try and capture that audience. Even if you're not an athlete or a DJ, you still want to wear Beats headphones because of that stigma that's attached to it. Yes, there's, it's a good quality and whatever, and you get the person that wants to buy it for the, for the quality of the headset as well. But I think also in that, in that yeah, sense. So, so the product and the brand also has mm. to hold up its, its uh, yeah. side of the deal because mm-hmm. if it's really bad quality yeah. and that's typically where the the influencer actually really has its value yeah they they try them they like them they like they'll they'll look at the the ethics of the brand or whatever it is that's important to them and by association their audience yeah they will filter out what what is not appropriate to to their brand so if Mm. their brand uh, if if their audience is about quality and they promote something of bad quality yeah not only does the brand uh, not work in that audience, it was mm. never going to work in that audience, um, so the campaign will fail, but the influencer will lose trust and lose uh, audience exactly. engagement. So so that's where the professionalism is starting mm. to uh, really mature. The, these guys are starting to realize that they've got real commercial value, yeah. but it's it's like a business. Unless they manage it correctly, they stand to lose it. And that's when, once yeah. we've, we've seen fortunes being made and lost in this space. And now that people have seen that it can be lost and that it has to be nurtured and well looked after and well maintained and run professionally. Yeah. That's, that's the, that's the biggest evolution that's happening now. And that's what's going to take it to the next level. I agree with you. Like I said, back to your to your statement about Fed Group wanting to just offer value, and like I said, you you basically based money for value option. I think that's what everyone is going for now. Because as soon as you um, you you make a bad decision based on someone's opinion, like I said, that trust is immediately broken, and the more people that that that, that follow like fall in that trap of trusting someone that's not that trustworthy or doesn't have that uh, same values, they'll they'll start to lose interest, and I think yeah they'll bump their head once or twice, but thereafter, like I said, you're going to look for that value, and it's becoming more and more critical because people want don't want these nice perfect pitch, um, like speeches speeches and 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 campaigns or whatever they want someone for instance that's why i love the um, nando's and their marketing people want that like i said outlandish like i said they want that little people like i said people saying basically screw you to the to the environment or not oh, to the environment but to the the whole concept of normal marketing i think that's that's the that's the key to be 
outspoken and creative. That's why I said that I think your 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 view of taking a creative side and taking it to farming and IoT and that will will open so many other doors that normal conventional business thinking would never think of because they don't have the especially at the time where we are now of 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 getting those early adopters and and building that technology in that sense. Yeah, I, I, that that's actually a cool uh, thing that you've you've stumbled onto there is mm-hmm. that with an influencer because they intrinsically know their audience because mm-hmm. they they're the leader of this little audience yes. and little might be uh, a million people yes but um, if brands and as brands learn how to plug into this new channel mm-hmm. it will be less about um, okay, this is our campaign, go and distribute it. It yeah. will be build a campaign with us. These are our objectives. This is the product we're trying to sell or this is yeah. the service we want to enhance, whatever. And they will build campaigns with the influencer for that audience yeah. and 200 other audiences exactly. all at the same time for the same yeah. product. And that's where it starts getting really exciting because mm. in the same way that you're saying, you know, these Nando's ads are really exciting. Mm. They're fun and it's a little mm. bit edgy. Yeah. Um, so some people who eat chicken don't like that. And yeah. Nando's probably not the best example because they, they, they managed to, to find that, yeah. that line. <laughs> yeah. And they, they managed to balance almost every time just on the right side of it. Mm-hmm. Um, but almost every time I guarantee you that there's a lot of people who complain. Mm-hmm. And as they, as they manage to, not necessarily them, but any other um, brand that's running a campaign and now you've got a multifaceted campaign that just changes the language slightly or um, the punchline changes slightly, you know, yeah. even if it's like, if it's uh, the punchline ends with the blue balls or the stormers, yeah. depending on, on who you're speaking to. So you can start exactly. to, to, to run it from, from, and then that's where it starts getting really, really exciting and really creative because now we can build campaigns that start to hit these little niches and speak yeah. to, to these very, very um, finite audiences. Yeah. And, and I think like most of these ads need to be organic. Um, cause like I said, I, um, a company that sponsors the, the, this, this podcast is alpha CBD. And at first I felt so, it felt so weird promoting the brand and, 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 and just promoting it since. But then I said to myself, but like I said, that's the thing that I use every day. I, I wanted something as like a CBD product that I, that I wanted to use. And I like I said, I've tried the product and I've tried other products and I like their products and I want to sell it as organically as possible. Cause it, I don't want to, I, I hate, I hate when I go into Instagram and there's like 50 stories, but all of them are people promoting ads. Yeah. Use my code, use this, use this, but I think that when you start organically, people seeing it just being part of your lifestyle, I think that's when their trust builds. Because um, I can go and I can post a perfectly well-placed and designed ad and say, yeah, use my code, get 10% discount, whatever, get it delivered to your door and what all this speedy. But like I said, then people say, but you don't even use that product. I don't even see you using that product in that sense. And then I think that's that's where the key thing comes in is when it's when you – people be getting so good at – spotting that bullshit and, and, and being able to like, okay, call people on that and say, Hey, um, 
yeah, that's not you or that's not. And the, the, the problem is with South Africa not being familiar with that, I think they need to find their feet in that sense. And some brands are going to bump their heads with, with using the wrong people and uh, targeting the wrong audience. For instance, if, if Nando go, Nando's goes and they target this, the, the like typical white religious audience, no one's going to buy their chicken because they don't take, they don't take kindly to being on that edge. They, like I said, they want the strict white picket fence. That's, that's their type of ad campaign that'll work with someone like that. So I think it's just finding your audience and being authentic. And, and that's where they can also help you. If we look mm. at some of the big blunders in the last couple of years, it's often around cultural incidents. Uh, sensitivities yeah. where brands have pitched something and even though it's gone through agency layers and sign-off layers and whatever when it lands it's just like you, you think did nobody look at this yeah and then you find out well it came from a uh, an agency overseas or something like that yeah but had they partnered with a somebody local in that demographic whatever they would have looked at this and said are you mad? There yeah. is no, there will be an absolute storm around this. You That's cannot right. run this campaign. Yeah. And, and I think when they start to do that, I, I'm even a big advocate for getting influencers in at the strategy stage to yeah, save yourself you having to redo the production. Yeah. And I think that's what really will become a massive asset to, to agencies and brands where they can actually dip into and get somebody of trust into yeah their agency to run it rather than just relying on a single strategist who mm. is working on chicken in the morning, insurance in the afternoon. Mm. And by midnight, he is in automotive spares. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, no, that makes perfect sense. Cause like I said, then you get the insights of like I said, you, the, the let's say you use for someone, um, I'm going to use um, skateboarding again. Um, if I take a, a skateboarder and I, uh, let's say I get a, a marketing agency in, in Santa and I get these guys, I want to promote this brand to these type of people. You can, you can spare yourself so much years of trying to understand the culture by just getting someone in that culture, taking them out and say, okay, we need to promote this to like-minded people, like your like-minded people. How do we do this? And 90% of the time, you'll save yourself so much effort and whatever in, in, in that by just associating with that. So I think that's the, the key thing that I think marketing agents in South Africa is doing wrong. They're trying to associate with someone that's popular, but those people don't usually don't have the audience for their product. So that doesn't look organic. It looks fake. And they should have gotten that person in from this, like you said, at the strategy side and say, yep. how can we sell this product to you? It's like, Oh, will it work? No, it's not going to work. Okay, cool. Then we're not going to do it. Yeah, exactly. And, and it also comes from uh, this idea that you're, you've got no influence until you hit 5,000 or 10,000 or yeah. 20. This is a, this is a 20,000 plus campaign yeah. and there's better ways to filter out than following. Exactly. And I agree. Um, that's often why brands, because we've, we've got a smaller pool of influencers, we're mm. taking what's happening overseas, which I still don't necessarily agree with, but, and we say, okay, cool. We need 10 influencers uh, with 10,000 plus followers. Yeah. And, and then that immediately shrinks it down to this pool and it's offered to all of them. And will you do this campaign? Here, 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 here's the product. Exactly. Yeah. As opposed to going and finding, 
taking the the skateboarding example, mm. you know, diving into the culture to find the influencer who can then bring that culture into the strategy of, and then, you know, just imagine a skateboarding mm. campaign mm. that's been built or a campaign aimed at skateboarders where there's somebody's dived into and found the, the guys that head up or, or that lead that culture in South Africa. Yeah. Who cares if they've got a thousand five hundred followers or fifteen thousand followers? Mm. If they've got this almost cult following uh, around skateboarding, that's the guy you want to speak to, exactly, yeah. or the girl that you want to speak to. It's it's because yeah. I'm I'm thinking now exactly if if someone makes an ad campaign and I um, and they use an inside joke that's only known in that industry, then you know, okay, cool, they've hit the nail on the head there because they've actually done their homework. Yet, even if they like I said they got the person in that that's the that's the key thing that that I think that's the that's the ideal at this moment though. <laughs> Yeah, and, and that's the cool stuff that you can get because you could, uh, if you were doing Lay's chips and you're going after cricket people or, or people who like rugby or whatever, you could target an inside joke for multiple people yeah. that each, you know, different people get to see that punchline from a different angle and exactly. everybody, everybody's having a laugh. Yeah. Um, because it's been distributed carefully like that and well-structured, um, exactly, which was yeah. never, ever possible before. You couldn't decide yeah. uh, who's sitting in front of the TV and who's going to get which punchline. Like that, Perfect, that yeah. just didn't, it wasn't possible. And now yeah. we can, and we can dive into a street culture and come up with a job and use the right jargon in the right way mm. with the right, look and feel and person and then it then it all makes sense and and is and is authentic because the influencer makes it authentic because yeah. they live their culture they're not they're not an actor who's on set trying to portray this Perfect, street yeah. culture they are and those people know them because they they go and skate with them and yeah no i agree 100 percent. and someone that's that's um doing it perfectly in south africa is a brand like puma um if you look at their ad campaigns that's 100 percent specific to their audience that they they're targeting a certain certain market in south africa and they're hitting the nail perfectly because they're getting those they, they're turning those followers into per, into people buying their sneakers people buying their jerseys people buying whatever they want to and if you look at an ad in, in 2020 and you see oh, i don't associate with that then an ad wasn't meant for you that's not like for, for some reason that's you clicked on something yeah that's a good thing that's not that was not that were people didn't try to market that to you so you can just ignore it or whatever and and, and just go from there but uh, yeah puma is an awesome example mm-hmm. um i think they they were sort of losing to the likes of Nike and Adidas and yeah. and um, they, they were battling for a little while and then social media they they just nailed it and social media arrived at the right time for them yeah. and they were like I, I could I could just imagine that they were like guys this is our make or break we we're gonna hit the social media we're betting we're betting yeah. on this and they just revolutionized that brand they brought all its street cred back and it really has um, it's gone wildfire through social media. And I think because they understood social media so well, influencer marketing, 
they, they will lead that space, no doubt. 100%. Uh, well, like I said, to, to close all this this off and, and, and give like an end statement, a mission statement to end this all off, to leave our or the audience with, what would your advice be to someone listening to the podcast and, and, and um, just a, a few words of wisdom? Uh, it's always, always difficult. But for me, I, I tried very hard to engineer my life around having fun. Mm-hmm. Uh, I know what I do. Uh, uh, I know which things I do bring me joy and happiness and fun. And a lot of it is the entrepreneurial side. Um, but I've got lots of hobbies. Most of my hobbies end up being a business venture of sorts or something. Mm-hmm. I can't help myself. But yeah. just you can engineer your life over time. Be patient. Engineer your life into something that's going to make you happy. Because if not, why why bother really like just yeah. just it can be done go and have fun 100 percent. that's that's perfect that's like i said i think that uh, that's a key thing everyone should 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 live by is just to have fun so if anyone wants to like i said follow you follow your jersey see how you're having fun and at where and what social media platform or what platforms can they can they reach you uh, yeah, so social media, always the best. Um, I am Brett Field, Brett with a double T. I am Brett Field. Uh, and yeah, I always like if people engage with me. So drop me a DM. Uh, I love collaborating. I've got a lot of uh, different, uh, very wide range of, of things that I'm involved in. Yeah. Um, and even if it's just somebody wants to uh, argue with me and tell me that influencer marketing is rubbish, <laughs> that's fine. That's fun too. <laughs> exactly. No, no, I agree. Like I said, if, if I, I enjoy the comments on, on Twitter, if I post something on there and someone replies with the exact opposite comment, I say, okay, cool. I want to get your perspective. Why do you think like this? Exactly. And then, then, then you can either, like I said, I always say you either either learn something or you, you, you win out of the situation. Like I said, you, that's the key thing. If you win this, the, not the, the, I think that I think the goal should be to win the argument, but just to learn from the argument. That's I think that's yeah. a key thing. Like I, I, I like to always say that I'm always willing to um, have my mind changed. Yes, I, I'm. I've got that level of of um, curiosity that even if my hard held beliefs, if you can convince me mm. otherwise. Yeah. Well, then that will become my new hard-held belief. Exactly. I'm always, always ready for that, and I think yeah. that when we when we break that barrier down, yeah, then people will will engage better and have more fun. I get, like I said, uh, I, I think of that meme of that guy with the signboard in front of his table and, and then he makes a statement on there and saying, change my mind. Like I said, uh, for instance, yours would then say, uh, influencer media um, is, is the best thing or whatever. And then at the bottom it says, change my mind. I think something like that would be the, the best option. It's like to yeah, change your life mind. like that. It's interesting. Yeah, yeah sure. Definitely. <laughs> well, awesome. Thanks for, for, for the time. And, and, and like I said, on this Friday afternoon, it's not like, we, like we're all in lockdown still. <laughs> but but um, yeah. yeah, like I said, uh, reaching out and, and chatting and like, like I said, I've, I've learned a ton and like, got more insight on, on influence marketing and, uh, and the smart farming and all that. I think it's insane. So if, if anyone wants to know anything more, um, reach out to, to, to Brett on social media and, and find him and, and like I said, DM, slide into those DMs and argue with them. We'll <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Yeah. Thank, uh, thanks, Kevin. Been, it really has been a lot of fun. Awesome. No, let's uh, let's maybe do one do uh, do a follow up one after the lockdown then. <laughs> Sounds good. Cool. Looking forward to it. Cheers, man. Cheers, mate.
Yeah, what an awesome episode with Brett. Um, like I said, some in massive insight on marketing, influencer marketing, the whole IoT development on in farming and agriculture and how they're doing it from an investment standpoint. Just such good points. But like I said, if you do, if you guys do differ from an opinion from any of us or any of our things or have a different view on, in, on, on any of it, um, slide into those DMs, um, comment on our posts on Twitter and Facebook and Instagram and let's form a discussion. Like I said, the, my, like I said, in thing the whole thing is education and the more we can get the one unified opinion about what is good and what is the right thing to do I think it's the better for all of us. So thank you guys for listening. Uh, if you like the podcast, please subscribe to it on, on, on iTunes and Spotify, wherever you're listening to. And um, rate the podcast. Give us a rating on there. Share it with your friends and family. Share it with the people that uh, you would think enjoy it. And let us know. Let me know on social media if you have anyone or any person that you would like to in the have, like, let, uh, have me chat on the podcast with. So thank you guys again for listening. And I hope you have an awesome day. Cheers.